This is The Mystical Positivist, a radio show dedicated to the application of reason in the pursuit of spiritual practice and development. It consists of commentary, book reviews, interviews, and discussion in and around the local and larger spiritual community. The thesis of the show is that rationality is in no way the antithesis of deep mystical experience. In fact, we assert that it is a necessary ally. I'm your host, Stuart Goodnick. Joining me in the following presentation is my co-host, Dr. Robert Schmidt. Rob is the director of Taiyu Meditation Center and founder with myself of Mini Rivers Books and Tea in Sebastopol, California. This week on the show, we feature a pre-recorded conversation with Teresa Dentino, co-author of the newly published e-book, The Oscan Oracle, from the Ancient Genara of the Moon. In this wide-ranging and remarkable conversation, we discuss her latest book, The Nature of Lineage, Dogeristic Divination as a Way to Connect People to Their True Lineages, cultural appropriation, and ways to hold and practice an indigenous tradition, and the ethics of divination and interaction with non-comporeal beings. Teresa Dentino is the author of nine books and serves as a guide and spiritual mentor to many. While attempting to reclaim and restore her ancestral medicine lineage, the Italian Streger tradition, Dentino was surprised to be claimed by the West African Dagra tradition of stick divination. Honored by this invitation, Dentino pursued it, and in 2011 was initiated into this potent form of divination. Besides her family and daughter, this turned out to be her greatest gift of her life. Stick divination helped Dentino find her way back to her own lineage, and enables her to help others find and restore theirs. This beautiful practice of Dagra stick divination continues to offer countless gifts. In multiple divination sessions, Dentino has taught about the spiritual membranes that protect, nurture, and inform life systems. Teresa Dentino, welcome back to The Mystical Positivist. Thank you. It's so good to be back again. I always love being on this show with you and Rob because you always ask the best questions. <laughs> well, that's, that's a generous start. And so uh, I'll just uh, continue by asking you to tell us what you've been up to since the last time you were on the show. Uh, I understand you've published a new book, and so that would be something to start with. Okay, well, thank you. Yes, I have... Okay, so my niece, Rory Tor, and I have created an oracle deck. And it's called the Oscan Oracle, and it's based on the deeper roots of my lineage and her lineage too, because she's my niece. So my niece um, and I, my niece is initiated into the Dagara stick divination, but also she holds the Strega lineage as well. And it was a really big gift that she wanted to come into the medicine. She came in at a very young age. I think she was maybe 19 when she had her first divination and was claimed by the Wedeme. And um, her and I have been able to delve much more deeply into our Italian lineage. That's what the Strega lineage is. And find the deeper pre-Roman roots of it. It's Hmm. been really astounding. And we'll get more into that, I believe, as the show goes on because it's on topic. But we have created an oracle deck based on the with using the letters of the Oscan alphabet, hmm. which we were told in divination is the language of our lineage. And when we were told that, neither of us had ever heard the word Oscan. We had no idea what they were talking about. And as we've, it's probably been four years, five years even, 
um, that we've been exploring the Oscan language um, and trying to understand how that relates to our lineage. And we have uncovered so much through this process about the ancient Yanara, who are the predecessors of the Strege. And and we that, so together we created this oracle deck. And each letter comes with a ritual that you can do to help you further understand the card that you pick up. And it also informs and instructs about, about our lineage. How many uh, cards are there in the deck? 21. So there's 21 different rituals that uh, one can uh, uh, participate in to have a deeper relationship to the meaning of the card. Yes. And so we released a PDF of this book in June. No, in September, excuse me, in September. And right now that's the format that it's out in, but we we were guided to release it first in that way as a PDF with cards that people can print. Hmm. and kind of create on their own because um, we thought a lot of people these days pretty much only work, read and work on their phones. But it, it seems like people really want um, a paper deck and a paper book. So we're beginning to work on releasing that sometime this year. That's very exciting. That's, that's very interesting. And it's uh, that the word Oscan... Uh, I'm such a history geek um, that that I know uh, that in the pre-Roman times, when the Romans con- conquered the Italian peninsula, there were Oscan-speaking peoples that uh, were part of the uh, uh, endeavor to knit together the uh, peoples of the Italian peninsula under the Roman authority. So, um, so it's interesting to me that that you're um, extracting that from. Um, from this, what I'm assuming would would have been a, a fairly heavy overlay of the Roman imperial administration. Ultimately. So true. It has been so challenging to try to find information because I'm not an Italian speaker, and um, and the the history is so overlaid with everything that first comes up is either Roman or then it goes into Catholic, right? So. Mm. Um, there's so many layers over over the history of what is now Italy, which is a very new country. And yeah, we, we've come to um, be quite sure that our ancestors were Oscan-speaking Samnites. Cool. Yeah. Oh, I know the word Samnite too. <laughs> right? no, and I <laughs> they were fighting the Romans uh, centuries before the imperial administration. Yeah, and awesome. since uh, we released this Oscan Oracle, um, more and more information has just opened up to both of us, which we were told. They said, do this, and when I say they, I mean the, the spirits that we work with. They said, create this deck and release it, and then you're going to get more and more information. Now And now it's, it's almost like a magic button has turned on. It possibly could be about AI, to tell the truth, because a lot of things now are translated on the internet that before weren't. So I mm. think some of the new access could be related to the um, upgrades in AI. But still, I'm finding information that I would have put, I put in the search engine so many times and nothing came up. So hmm. it's really fascinating. That's interesting. Well, I want to take a, a little bit of a step back because you mentioned some things at the beginning that uh, some of the uh, listeners may not be as familiar with. So I want to just like define some terms. So you mentioned 
uh, the Dagra stick division tradition, and you mentioned the Strega tradition. And um, so, why don't you just briefly explain the Dagra stick divination, and then we can talk about the Strega divination, and then I think that will be an appropriate lead into some of the material we really wanted to uh, go deeper into. So, um, Dagara stick divination is from the Dagara people from Burkina Faso in West Africa. And it's a tradition that has a very long, long history. It's been around for a long time, is what I mean. And it has a very, um, a very strong and intact field. And it's literally the diviner has a stick and what we call a kit that has pieces in it. And when you come for divination, the diviner, after invocation, the stick will pick pieces and that's who wants to speak to you today. And it's um, divination, in case people aren't familiar with this word, is a a way to check in with the other world and a, a way to gain access to the spiritual hierarchy around the client who comes in for divination. And so the um, uh, divination process is mediated by certain spirits, right? Correct. So the Dagara believe that you cannot be a diviner without merging consciousness with an elemental being. And by elemental being, they mean, or to translate what that is for people who don't know, it could be like an elf or a fairy or a gnome. Um, so these these spirits that are not completely three-dimensional and have a very close relationship with the earth and the wild and nature. So the elemental beings of the wild and the land are the Wedeme, and the elemental beings of the water are the Contomble. So if one merges consciousness with a Wedeme, they do stick divination. Right. So um, then... You also mentioned the Strega uh, tradition, so I need to speak a little bit about that because I think this will tie these threads together. So, and one thing I want to say about um, the Dagara tradition that I think is the reason why it's so open to, and it so much wants to help us Westerners return to our roots and our lineages of origin I believe that at one point, every, every spiritual tradition had a relationship to the elemental beings. And I, I, the Dagara seem to be one of the only ones I know of that really have kept this intact in its true form for this long. Mm-hmm. Because um, I really, in the Western tradition, some, some traditions still talk about them and, and they're still a part of it, but this merge that happens at initiation, I think that was much more of a global phenomena. And so the, the fact that they kept that intact, it's the Wedeme, I mm-hmm. believe, who are wanting to help us all return to our lineages of origin. It's, it's them who want to restore their relationship with humans. So when you, you talk about merging, it's, it's kind of interesting because someone who isn't within that tradition may hear that sort of language and uh, think all sorts of things. It might mm-hmm. be a loss of identity. It could be a possession. It could be, you know, any any number of uh, 
you know, reactions as what 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 is merging and what what is that? Right, it it's, can be triggering for some people to hear that. Um, I guess I, another way to say it would be to share consciousness, and and this is when you're divining. So, so it's not when you're going to the market or you know uh, cooking dinner necessarily. Mm-hmm. Correct. Okay. I mean, you still have a relationship mm-hmm. with them, and you can still maybe hear them or, or get a feeling of them. But the true blending, where where the diviner might might be giving part of their own consciousness over to the wedeme, is in the the stick divination, which is held in a very formal protocol. So that's one thing to let people know. There's a very strong there's very strong boundaries around this dagger technology, which is another reason why. I think it's it's been able to to stay strong for so long, and for me, it does feel like um, it feels like a webbing, a webbing of my consciousness with theirs. And what that means is, I have another. I'm looking through a different lens mm-hmm. when I'm divining, and I know it's not my lens because it's not how I see the world. So, but I still have my own consciousness as well. And that's one of the um, learning curves when you become a diviner is to start to be able to go in and out of that that kind of trance merged consciousness state to coming back to to my own consciousness, kind of to be able to make to offer the information in a way that I think is most um, of the highest value to the client, mm-hmm. and and deliver it in such a way that it makes sense. So it's not like I'm ever, I don't ever feel like I don't have my own consciousness. Right. In fact, you've uh, uh, spoken uh, when we've talked about this privately about the, um, the ethics or the morality or conscience uh, rests with the diviner and not with the uh, uh, elemental sp- spirits because they process things that we would be called matters of conscience very differently. Correct. And their priorities are, are a little bit different than ours. Um, it's not that I don't agree with their priorities, but humans have extenuating circumstances that the Wedeme sometimes, it's hard for them to understand. It's very difficult for Wedeme to understand broken relationships. Hmm. They see um, interconnectedness and relation as the... That's what they're wanting to mend all the time. Oh, there's a break over there. Fix that. That There's an energetic break over there. Go fix that. And so sometimes I do have to explain to them that certain people don't want to and have the right to not take up a relationship with someone that was toxic for them. Mm-hmm. So um, you also mentioned uh, the Strega tradition, and uh, uh, that's a, a completely different channel. So uh, maybe you could speak about that, and then, then we can talk about the tie-in. Okay. So I, I'm Italian-American, and my great-grandmother was a Strega, which is what, since... Um, okay, so, so which is, since the Inquisition, what they have called witches in Italy, or medicine women if you want to call it that, or even shaman. So strega is the Italian word for that kind of person. And that's the female um, form. There's the stregone for the men, and then plural is strege. And then my niece, Rory, and I 
have come to discover the predecessors, pre-Inquisition um, ancestors of our medicine lineage are called the Yanara. So I was, uh, my, the lineage was broken in my family. It did not get passed to me. But I was told who my great-grandmother was. And so I was on a search to kind of understand who she was and what it means to be a Strega. And I wrote a novel called The Strega and the Dreamer. And then I happened to go to a divination with a dagger, a diviner, while I was writing that novel. And that's when I got claimed and through a long process decided to proceed with it even though it's not my lineage and through dagger divination I've been able to restore the lineage to my family and so this this starts to get into a very interesting arena because I, I think uh, I think you've written um, that in that process so you had a connection with your Strago lineage and uh, an intuitive connection with your great-grandmother. And it was she who suggested that you use the Dagra uh, process or technology to get to re- reactivate or, in a sense, uh, re- recreate the, uh, or the lineage uh, with, within your family. Correct. It took me a long time to understand why she led me to this kind of divination, to Daigara stick divination. But now, especially when I'm getting to these really deeper, deeper levels of the Italian medicine lineage, it's very similar to the Daigara belief system. Making offerings, working with the land, it's all about place, where you live, being part of the ecosystem seeing yourself as embedded in it rather than outside of it. It's, it's very similar. It's an indigenous tradition. So I, I see more and more why she led me to that. So that, that was, um, to bring it back to uh, the story that you've just been articulating, uh, the, your great-grandmother, your connection to your great-grandmother um, was the way... Uh, or was elucidated through your connection to the stick divination tradition, and and that's and that's kind of where the two came together to, for you, more or less simultaneously, or 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 feeding each other. Is that is that a fair fair description? Well, I guess I would say that I I had the connection. My aunt thankfully kept it alive in our family and constantly told us who our great-grandmother was. But I didn't know what Estrega did, and I didn't have any training. So I had these abilities. I've always talked to trees, and I've always had a a relationship with the non-ordinary world, I guess people call it, where I... I could see what people call ghosts. And so I always had these abilities, what people might call psychic, but I, I had no idea what to do with them. Uh-huh. And, um, and so I became a writer, you know, <laughs> because I could sit down and go into trance and just write what I saw. You know, I, I didn't fully know what I was doing, but I knew that I was, the books I was writing were because I would see a character and they would start talking to me. And then I would say, oh, tell me more. And then I would go to research and find out, oh, okay, well, that's kind of true. So I had this process already going where I would fill myself up with all this information. Mm-hmm. And then I would sit down and, and just listen and write and, and, and basically put myself into trance and 
but then I, I believe that the the reason why she led me to to the technology is because so I could get an actual skill technology and and be able to deliver my gifts as a strega hmm. you know and and so now all, all of those are combined now I'm still a writer and I'm a strega but also she really required from me that I become a mentor um, after initiation and being a mentor means that you take the responsibility for uh, uh, initiating other diviners right because she said there's so many people like you that, that have lost their lineage and they don't they don't have any um, instruction and they don't have any they don't know what they're doing they don't know how to do it so be for them what you didn't have is what she said to me it, and that seems to be especially um, I, I would I was going to say western but I think I, it's probably more accurate to say that's a modern problem the problem of modernity where these lineages and these uh, paths that embodied a relationship with the earth have been sort of uh, de-emphasized in the modern world because there's you know, we have a emphasis on scientism and on technology and on uh, acquisition and things like that and materialism so it seems like this is a pertinent problem um, across the globe but it's uh, especially acute in I think western societies particularly American society because Americans are tip- for the most part with the exceptions of uh the native communities are uh, sort of outcasts or people who have left their, uh, their their homelands behind and have very little connection with their uh, long-term lineages of place. Exactly. It's. I used to think it was mostly our Western mindset that disconnected us, um, but now I'm totally understand it was the diaspora <laughs> that disconnected us. I mean, most of us that are not indigenous, our ancestors left their place and and so much of this medicine is about place Mm -hmm. so you have this whole disorientation factor and it's it's profound i mean it's really profound to leave your home and leave your ancestors and when they were leaving you didn't just fly home you know i mean some my my great-grandmother never went back it wasn't available to her when they left they left and they knew they were leaving and so kind of that's come more to the forefront for me that people left and and then of course the big assimilation project that is America um, where people assimilate mm-hmm. it, it's it's different now thankfully people are being encouraged to keep their their lineages their languages their beliefs but when my great-grandmother came it was leave all that stuff behind your American now so. actually, actually um, there's been a a lot of research to point out that um, there was actually a fairly high percentage of people who did themselves go back during their lives, like as much as 30%, depending on mm-hmm. particular um, culture. And um, and um, and yet, nevertheless, um, 70%, if you accept that figure of 30% returning, then that still means 70% didn't. And... Um, uh, you know, I know of I have friends doing archaeological research with the Chinese uh, Americans who came over in like the 19th century uh, to North America, and a lot of them went back to their native uh, villages in mm-hmm. China. Um, and um, but 
as you, as you point out, there there's this high percentage of people who don't or didn't, and so um, and then they encountered native peoples and were not inclined generally to respect their sense of place. Um, in fact, to take their sense of place away by taking them away from their uh, 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 ancestral uh, homes so it's it's a it's a very complicated complicated thing that you're that you're pointing to it seems mm-hmm. to me mm-hmm. but you know an interesting aspect of this that um you know when when i think of uh, a strager tradition and a uh, uh european uh shamanic uh lineage the first thing that comes to mind isn't a uh, uh, West African uh, tradition. Uh, that seems very different. And you've used the term technology to refer to the Dagra uh, tradition. So I mentioned how you <clears throat> how you thread that needle because uh, as an initiated diviner in a West African tradition, um, you could take on the uh, cultural accoutrements of uh, an African uh, diviner, but you're really taking on more of the cultural accoutrements of a a descendant of a lineage of uh, Strega practitioners. And so a naive conversation about this sort of stuff brings up these kinds of uh, exteriorized terms like cultural appropriation. And I want to talk about that because I think that that's a hot topic in any sort of relationship that Westerners have with an indigenous tradition. And uh, I want to ask you how you understand that and how, how you uh, navigate that kind of minefield. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good word for it. <laughs> well, first of all, I have my own personal experience, which when people do call me out, and sometimes in a very not very thoughtful way, and tell me I am appropriating, you know, without even asking me a question or or wanting to hear how I came to have this technology, I say, would you like to hear my story? Because I didn't go looking for this. I went to a divination with a friend who asked me to go with her. And I sat down in front of the stick. And the wedeme said, we want you. So, and I, and I did at the time. I said, well, but this is African. And I'm, I'm trying to find my Italian roots. And I'm not sure about this. But my great-grandmother was there in the divination. And I even... Even then, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't think I was going to do it. And I was actually, I actually, I had an, uh, a situation where I, when I look at it now, I, I think I was very disrespectful because I was told that I was going to have two dreams of a tree and then I was going to be able to make tree medicine. And I, I was like, oh yeah, like that's really going to happen and I don't believe it. And then it happened. And it was the most profound experience of my life, these dreams. And I said yes after those dreams. And it's been, I just want to, I just want to acknowledge it's such a gift that the Dagara have let Westerners have access 
to this technology. And the reason why I do call it a technology is because I'm really clear. I'm not Dagara. I'm not African. I was not brought up in the village. I've never even been to the village. I have this literal technology of stick divination that I was initiated into. It's a very, it's one part of a huge culture. And I'm not pretending to know everything about that culture, and I don't. So I stick to the word technology to be clear that that's what I was given. I was initiated into a technology, and it's so generous of them to share that. So how I, I mean, so I know in my own heart that I was asked to do this. And so I didn't go looking for it. I didn't go seeking it out. And that it's brought so much healing to my family. And it brings so much healing to the people I divine for. So to me, it's always been just so positive. Um, so I guess that's what I mainly, how I mainly address the appropriation question is I didn't go looking for it. It found me. It wanted me. And I'm, I'm pretty clear what I have access to and what I don't and how I'm using it. And I'm also not, um, I just, I just think that forever on this planet, people have shared technologies and different, different ways of knowing with each other. Humans have always shared that. So I guess that's how I hold it. Well, let me, let me just comment that I just happened last week to meet someone who was telling me about her um, life and uh, uh, um, the various um, genetic components of her background. And she mentioned that she had a, a Cherokee, uh, I think it was grandfather or great-grandfather, I can't recall, and then, um, and then she actually herself, without me asking about it, said that she um, she didn't want to do anything with the Native American stuff in her life because she thought she worried that that would be cultural appropriation. And I was kind of stunned to hear someone with that lineage uh, that she claims in the way she did say that um, she was worried about cultural appropriation. So, so, so my comment is, what a strange place we're in if someone like this woman, um, who, um, who I think has some of the... Uh, um, you, you, you used the word psychic earlier, I don't... I don't particularly like that word because it, it sort of uh, has an implication that doesn't point precisely to what you are doing and have been doing and have been learning and have been effectuating. But, um, but, um, but look at how confused we are about, about all this. So I think one reason we wanted to do this interview was precisely to... Um, Allow you to articulate one your particular your particular experience of how you could come into this place where you have um, um, where you're using connections to 
give people things they didn't know they had access to. So, um, so that's really wonderful. I mean, I was, you know, uh, brought up Roman Catholic, but um, when I came out as gay, that didn't seem to be a very good idea back in the uh, 70s, 60s and 70s. So, um, and then uh, entered um, my teacher's teaching in the for, in the, with using fourth-way technology. And for many years, I was, I was uh, um, uninterested in exploring other paths. But then eventually, well after his, my teacher's death, um, I realized I could open up. And, when, uh, and just, just to briefly say, when Stuart and I uh, came to you for a divination and the results were completely inexplicable by any um, ordinary materialist uh, uh, framework, um, that only underscored and reinforced my sense of moving beyond that, that um, what you were calling a Western, but um, uh, whatever, whatever term we want to use, um, there's more going, there's more in heaven and earth, Horatio, than is dreamt of in your philosophy, as uh, Shakespeare put it, in Hamlet. So, um, so this is really of interest to me. And and I and I um, I appreciate how hard it's it must have, it must be for you when someone comes up to you without any notion of what the hell you're doing, and then um, projects onto onto what you're doing. So so this is a this is a cultural issue in this time. Yeah, and I, I always say you know I'm really happy to have the conversation. I'm not afraid of the conversation, and I'm not afraid to examine um, those difficult issues that a lot of them are, are very valid. But to not have the conversation is where we're getting into trouble. And for me, like I said, I hold this gift that was given me by the Dagara people with such... I mean, I am so, with such gratitude and, and such humility, and every day I'm thankful for it, and I want to show up to it, you mm-hmm. know? So it's not that I ever underestimate the power that came when Maladoma Somme brought this here, and I'm just really convinced that we really need it. You know, it was really, really obvious that what this medicine has to offer is exactly what what we need. And because it wants to return us to a relationship with nature. It wants to return us to a relationship with ourselves. And I feel like it sees that a lot of us are really lost and searching. And it has answers. So it's a really beautiful thing. And... It does hurt my heart when people want to go to that place automatically of just saying, oh, well, you're just appropriator, rather than try to hear, why? Why Why would I even do this? It's not like it's been easy for me. And I do want to say that a lot of people contact me 
because they have an Italian lineage and they're like, I want to work with you, but I only want the Italian. I don't want any of that African stuff because that's appropriating. Mm. And I say, okay, so tell me how I'm going to do this. Because the only way I can look at your lineage is by using this West African technology. That's the only, that's the only tools I have. So if you don't want the Dagara, then you, then I can't help you because the only way I've been able to find my way back, and I'm not saying it's the only way, but it's the only way I've been able to, is through this gift of the Dagara stick divination. And I can't even roll a shell without using a Dagara. I mean, everything I'm doing to make sure I'm on track is through this Dagara divination. And I'm never going to turn my back on that. I I feel like the worst thing to do would for me to be pretend this is Italian and act like it didn't come from there and, and not pay homage to the people who who gifted this to me. I feel like I need to keep saying this is not my lineage. This is a beautiful lineage I was invited into, and this is whose it is, and this is how you do it, to just make sure I'm staying clean with... And I try really hard in my books to say, this is a Dagara teaching, this I've learned from the Italian lineage. I try to be clear about where information's coming from um, as another way of, of being honoring and being clean with the medicine. So so there's a we had a, a conversation, a couple of conversations, I think, with a... Uh, 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 he's often recognized, I think, as a, a Taoist teacher named Ken, Ken Cohen. But he also wrote a book called Honoring the Medicine, which is about his connection to uh, um, uh, First Nations Canadian native uh, group that, that he was adopted into. It wasn't, and it wasn't his idea in the way that you're describing was not yours um, it wasn't his idea to be adopted into this and the title of the book says says essentially what, exactly what you're saying honoring the medicine so um, so you're not the first person to be uh, engaging in this and you know I don't I don't uh, my teacher was a nice Jewish boy from Brooklyn. I don't know if he was from Brooklyn, but he's a nice Jewish boy at some point. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so uh, to go back to the uh, uh, Roman and pre-Roman world, um, one of one of the good things about Roman society was it was that they could adopt people into their families, people non ancestral connected people could be adopted into a family and be considered a full member of that family. And um, I think that's true of many indigenous uh, cultures. Yeah, but that, that, but that was a feature even in imperial times in yeah. Rome. So that, that's something they held on to, I think, probably from this um, period, this Oscan Samnite uh, uh, period. So... Uh, mm. um, so this is this is something I just want to say that you you're not you are not unique, except unique unique in the way it happened for you. Well, well, there's a, I mean, there's there's certainly cases in the spiritual um, world and the you know the New Age world where um, anxious or excited uh, Westerners um, take a workshop. And then, uh, on the basis of that, uh, you know, begin to clothe themselves in the uh, uh, 
clothing of another culture and speak the language and assume a certain level of um, uh, participation and or, or even authority, right? And and for the larger indigenous communities from where those traditions may have come, I can see that that is very offensive, and so there is a real issue there mm-hmm. for sure. But Absolutely. but. The problem I have, particularly in the era of political correctness, is everything is sort of flattened to a cultural understanding and not a spiritual understanding. And so a cultural understanding you know, says, well, yeah, you know, you're a Westerner, you know, how dare you, um, you know, use this African tradition because it's not yours. But... From a spiritual point of view, first, you know, a as you described, you were claimed. You weren't. You weren't. You didn't go looking for this. Uh, you were claimed by uh, Wedeme spirits in the context of the uh, divination uh, from this tradition. But the two, the spiritual realm that one's interfacing with in these traditions, don't give a, a darn about our cultural. Uh, sensibilities in that sense you know they're more interested in who's going to really be serious about the work that's being offered and so when you when you erase that consideration I think you know the conversation becomes very two-dimensional and uh, you know Mm -hmm. as you said if you have a conversation and someone actually listens to your story then it's you know (laughs) The categories that the simple categories simply aren't present there. You know, yes, I, I mean the, the people to worry about are the ancestors. <laughs> the Wedeme, the Wedeme are um, accepting of everyone in all faiths. They and 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 as I wrote in notes from a diviner in the postmodern world, it's fascinating to have this technology in this place where I live, where there's so many people come to me and they have so many different lineages and one person can be walking around with four medicine lineages you know just because we're so mixed here in general right um whereas that isn't necessarily <clears throat> happening in the village in, in the Dagara village probably more so now but um but the ancestors definitely can they they get really they can be really sticky around sharing their lineages or even in Sharing a lineage in, a, in the per, one person who's from two different ones, <laughs> often there's 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 conflict. So it's that. See, so that for me shows that that's a human construct, and that's a human um, issue that humans have been engaging in for a lot of time on this planet. And at one time, it served us really well to be very tribal, and you're not part of my tribe, therefore. But it doesn't really anymore. But it, it's still in our ancestry. So someday I dream about doing rituals where we all ask our ancestors to to kind of chill, stop doing that. <laughs> you know, can we can we stop? You know, because we don't need that anymore. We don't need that so much anymore. So because that those are the ones that get really sticky around. Ooh, you can't have this. I'm not going to tell you this in a divination, mm. and I have to promise. You know, that I won't use the information they're giving me. I'm only giving it to the client because the client can't get it otherwise. I have to have these conversations, but it's always with the ancestors. It's never with the wedding. Interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. 
Uh, that that makes sense because the Wedemay aren't human. Right, the Wedemay aren't human, and also it's not the star beings. It's you know this is held in a very specific. Um, yeah. Uh, embody whoever was a human. Still holding on to that a lot. Well, you know, one point you mentioned um, that um, I find an, an interesting thread here is um, you talked about how you would never take the Dogra technology of stick divination and, and morph that into an Italian uh, Strega um, uh, modality. And you know, a friend of ours um, uh, once made a, a comment about, you know, in a conversation about how do you engage with an indigenous tradition, you know, um, if you want to understand it. And uh, his comment was, you need to become completely passive to it. Not in the sense of you're a rug and you get walked on, but passive in the sense that you do not bring your cultural assumptions to it. You don't try to or map even, it. Or, or even your spiritual assumptions. Right, right. Especially your spiritual assumptions. You don't try to map it to, you know, um, so to use the Dagra uh, tradition. You know, the Dagra cosmology sits there, and if I compare it to cosmologies of other traditions, it's there are analogies, uh, but it's different. And if I were to say, oh, well, this, this, this element in the Dagger tradition is this, and, you know, and, and, and do this translation, then I'm not being passive to the tradition. Mm-hmm. I'm, actually, I'm actually affecting a kind of a, an alighting of, of, of that tradition because I'm trying to map it into something else, a different tradition. And so to be completely passive to something, you have to immerse yourself and be part of it. And I've certainly seen in your work that you've done that with the Dogra tradition, you, you, you immerse yourself fully in that, as you put it, the technology, uh, but the, the cosmology is a very real cosmology and you're not, you're not trying to map it directly to something else. Um, and, and so it's sort of like, as you said, and you used this term earlier that there's a strong field around it. And, and you have to enter that field. And if you enter that field uh, naked, then the field can inform you and can transform you and to align you to that field. And then you can become, then you can operate within that field. If you come in like a, uh, a, a colonizer, then I think the, that those, these traditions have their built-in immune systems and uh, uh, essentially... Uh, antibodies will <laughs> effectively try to exit you from the tradition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. It really is um, the stick divination uh, I find I'm totally, I guess what you would call passive to the I, mean, I, I have languaged it as a surrender or and also before every divination, I, I'm I have so much resistance because I know they're going to take my brain away. <laughs> <laughs> and what I mean by that is, I can't even, you know, the minute I try to come in with my own, my own point of view, my own Western worldview, you know, I I, I hear all kinds of gongs and no and stop, no, we're not talking about that. That's not what we're saying. And then they, I feel them totally re- like the wedding may I guess or what whatever's going on. I. Ha- I'm just giving a lot of analogy and metaphor because I, 
I don't know how this works, but it somehow works. <laughs> um, but the invocation in itself, the rattling of the rattles and the bells and the, the speaking your prayers and calling in everybody, that's just totally the time where I am just giving my my ego away. I'm just, it's, go, it's gone by the time I am hmm. pick up the stick and look at the client because... Sure. Because of what you're saying, Stuart, I mean, this is such a different mindset. It's so, it's not Western at all, or whatever, intellectual. It's, and they have their own belief system, and, and I'm not saying I agree with it all either. I mean, I've had a lot of conversations with the beings that come into divination, and that's how I've learned the most about this, is by doing these divinations, and having them teach me more and more, well, this is, this is how it works. Go and do this. Go and do that. Tell your client to go and do that. And a lot of time in divination is me instructing or explaining to the client. They want you to do this. This is why they want you to do this, because this is what they believe. And it's up to you if you want to do this. Because I think it's important for people to understand, like, why am I going to go pour this water to a tree? And why what's what's the thought behind that so that's i like that part of it too because i feel like the divination also kind of reintroduces people to indigenous way of thinking and and then when they go and do the rituals that are prescribed they get to have that experience which by the way i think is our birthright i think all of us have an indigenous tradition somewhere back sometime and we're all indigenous to this planet so fundamentally for me it's an indigenous earth medicine and people are very hungry for it one of the elements that uh, you've described and um, the uh, I think the book you remind me of the title it's a divining in a postmodern world or a post notes from a diviner in the postmodern yeah world. notes from a diviner in a postmodern world um, um, is interesting in that one of the things that you described that would, is distinct in your utilization of the um, uh, Dagro technology uh, in Dagro and in the village context, people are pretty much well within that cosmology, and 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 so it's it's you know that cosmology is just functioning. But when you divine for someone uh, in the West, um, beings, God forms, spirits from a whole variety of different traditions tend to show up for you. And that's a what you're describing in, a, uh, in that book in a spiritual context in the divination is interesting because it sort of recapitulates the impingement of so many different cultures that we have in the modern world in the west but modern world in general now we have access to everything and so can you talk a little bit about uh how that shows up in the uh divinatory space that that now you know a buddhist figure may show up or a uh you know a, a Taoist energy master may show up or or uh or any number of uh different beings that have nothing to do with the dogger land show up so can you talk about that and how you negotiate Mm -hmm. that and and Mm -hmm. how you see that yes well this is something that um once i started divining so after i was initiated um 
I began to see and be very intrigued by because I tend to um, I like to I, I like to do research and explore things. So um, the beauty of the medicine kit you're given when you are initiated into the stick divination technology is that a lot of it is rocks and stones. So it is not anthropomorphized. Um, and so as I got to know these entities that were in my kit through divination, I would be holding a piece. Let's say I'm holding a cosmic justice piece from the Dagora kit. And in to the divination comes an archangel. And I would I would think, oh, okay, so this is to Dagora what archangels are to Christianity. So I began to see these kind of correlations um, and, and kind of develop what I call a hierarchy of beings. Mm-hmm. But like I said, the Wedeme, they don't care what tradition the person's coming from and who shows up. They welcome it all. But they do show me, oh, oh, that's like this and this divination, and this is what they need to do. Um, so it, it, it's what I'm seeing when I'm doing a divination is what the person who came to divination is carrying with them, what their spiritual pedagogy is, their spiritual hierarchy, the, people, the beings that they have interacted with, are interacting with, or that want to interact with them. So yes, uh, I tend to be visual, so I will see them come in, and I will clearly see um, beings from other lineages that I'm not that familiar with, but I I just listen and, and give the give the person the information that's coming through. But that's how it shows up. It, they're just there with the person. You know, I, I don't go looking for them. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of time, the the person is very they know who's with them. It's not a surprise to them. But the fact that I see it is a surprise to them, you know. So (laughs) that's also very interesting because I'll say, well, this being came in and they're saying this, and the client will say, oh, yeah, I know. I know who you're talking about. I pray to them every day. Hmm. Um, But the the thing about this kit that I have that, that it's not, it's, for me, I didn't know the cosmology. I didn't know. Um, I was taught very little before I got initiated about what those pieces were in my kit. So I was really surprised to see and be taught that um, in that hierarchy in my kit are often resonant beings in other traditions. Hmm. And is it, it's also the case, I, I believe, that you're kit expands as well and some of the mm-hmm. pieces that come in uh, may not have direct analogs in the Draugr tradition. Correct. Yeah, I mean, and they're really they're not, yes, a lot don't have direct and definitely things people put in my kit probably don't because people put things in my kit that are important here in North America. You know, so it, it would be something very different in Dagra land. But I, I also, um, you know, once I got my kit and got initiated, I started going out on the land. And this this is um, directly 
well, it was directly from my great-grandmother telling me to go out on the land and work with the mountains and work with the trees. So I started following her um, instructions about that. But, of course, I'm taking my shells, and my shells are something I learned to use through the Dagra um, technology. Took my stick, took my shells. So I'll do, I'll do what my grandmother tells me to do, but I'll take my Dagra technology with me so that I can be sure I'm hearing correctly. And... While I was in the process of doing that, I've been running into a lot of local entities on the land. So then that started to happen. So that I always say I teach a three-way, a three-pronged um, medicine. I, I teach, I teach my mentees about what I've learned about the Italian lineage, and my great grandmother is a really big mentor for all of us as well. I teach them a technology of stick divination, and then I take them out in the land and teach them what we've learned about working with the local landscape. And we've run into a lot of indigenous beings out in the land. So that's been another huge uh, thing that I've learned since I became a diviner. And when you say indigenous beings, are these, uh, um, does that mean spirits of uh, indigenous peoples who had been in this land, uh, uh, occupied this land previously? Does it mean... Mm-hmm. Elemental beings that are uh, just uh, part and parcel of the uh, landscape. I I mean I'm meeting the ancestors of the Miwok and the Pomo. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The medicine people. And and from what you've described in uh, other conversations, uh, um, uh, particularly medicine people of other traditions who are still uh, around, find interest in anyone who's actually paying attention with reverence to the earth again. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, again, it's, um, it's been a steep learning curve. A lot of them aren't, aren't that thrilled with us. They're like, get out of here. What are you doing here? You're not us. You don't have any right to be here. Um, but it, something I learned from, from the dagger of training is you don't just say, okay, and walk away. You say, oh, I'm so sorry. Is there anything I can do to repair this? Is there anything I can do to to make amends or, you know, to, to pay retribution to what was done? Is there anything I can do to heal this? And, and, and you know, just always with humility, say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that my ancestors did this, and I'm so sorry that we did this. But we're here now. Is there anything we can do? And if they say, no, I'm not going to fight or anything. Just going to walk away, but often it's yes, do this and do that, and if you keep coming back, then we're going to trust you. But if you're just coming in here one time, no, not so much. So I keep going back and making offerings, asking if there's healings needed, carrying out those rituals, and eventually they want to work with us. But nobody knows about this. This is something our group does very privately and, and because it's not about that. But it's interesting that if you go, like you're saying, with that passive openness, what you might find. And if you keep asking questions about, is there anything I can do? Is there anything I can do to heal this? They'll tell you. But then you, you should do it. You know, so those are all the things I've learned. Yeah. Show up, listen, don't talk, listen. <laughs> do what you're asked, and then just wait. 
So in uh, some of the divinations that uh, uh, I've done with you and Stuart and I have done with you, um, one of the things I remember you saying is um, they'll tell you to do something, the Dagra, that is to say, presumably. Or the Wadame. Uh, yes, sorry, the Wadame. Um and you're saying, well, you don't have to do. I mean, you, you mentioned this earlier in this conversation that um, that that you're the client, as you're putting it, is the is the one who gets to decide what you're willing to do with. And I've seen you actually apparently argue with the, the Wedeme about a recommended something that they recommend, and. Um, and then eventually you you just tell <laughs> you just told told us what they what they're recommending even if you don't particularly uh, want to communicate that message. Mm-hmm. So um, so that's an interesting feature of this, and I think it's um, incredibly important that that responsibility be extended to the client, um, so that it's not just. Um, Obedience. Mm-hmm. Can you speak a little bit more about the, about mm-hmm. not just obedience? Yeah, I I think that's so important, especially now where a lot of people are searching. Um, there seems to be a bit of a belief that any information you get from a, a not embodied spirit is true or right or good, <laughs> and um, that you. That you kind of leave your discretion and and your power at the door, and I just absolutely disagree with that. Absolutely, I think that's what got us into this mess we're in. <laughs> Is um, yeah, you know, I was raised Catholic as well, <laughs> and I just I always wanted to know why. Why are you telling me to do this? Why? And. For me, it's really important for me to... Always was very important for me to be, have someone answer me. You know, and there's plenty of people that did, and then I understood it, and then I could make a decision. Um, so that I really want to extend that to my clients. And especially now, at this time on the planet, especially because most of my clients are women who have been taught to leave your voice at the door, you know, just do what you're... It's, it, there's just been this whole disempowerment and... So I'm really committed to empowering my clients and saying, this is what they're saying, this is what you're being asked to do, or this is what they're recommending, but you, you have your own voice still and ask questions and you can negotiate anything. It's, and it's, yeah, it's really, really important to me to be able to hold that um, position. Well, it's, um, I mean, I'll just relate for our listeners, uh, as I've done to many other people in the past, um, that, you know, the first divination that we, uh, Stuart and I did with you, um, produced results that could not be explained by any materialist, um, concept. And, um you know, apparent, quote, coincidences that that you, it would be really hard to imagine arising spontaneously in a uh, 
in a meaningless universe. So, um, so, uh, and I and I also have seen you resisting what's being asked of you to communicate to this client, me, or Stuart, or or you know, and and um, and uh, that that sense of. You're calling it empowerment, but I'm I'm calling it um, making sure responsibility is clear. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it. What we do is our responsibility. It doesn't matter who's asking us, or telling us, or ordering us, or uh, uh, shaking their finger uh, metaphorically at us. It's uh, it's incredibly important to, I think, that in itself is a teaching. About responsibility, you know, I like that, mm-hmm. and 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 that is something that I don't think is very often communicated in, in generally um, in our culture, unless you happen to be in contact with a person who knows how to do that, mm-hmm. you know. So, so it seems to me that one of one of the uh, features of what you've been doing and communicating is showing people how to act responsibly in a complicated situation, you know, because it's complicated if, if you're being told that, that there's a, uh, an ancestor or a, an earth spirit or whoever is, is saying this, this, and this. And um, responding responsibly is... Uh, uh, because we aren't taught how to be responsible for ourselves to such a deep extent, I think. At least I didn't feel like I was. Um, and it's not because there was any uh, uh, malevolent intent by parents or teachers or, or whatever. It's just, you know, uh, uh, we've been in a, a, a mess of soup <laughs> in our lives. And so... And so... If we're going to um, accept that there's a that there is a non-material reality that touches us, but not in in ways hierarchical. One of the things lately I've been really annoyed about is uh, you know I feel I feel drawn again actually to Catholicism in a number of ways, which is interesting. Uh, but the whole hierarchical thing where you call God the Lord is completely an imposition from human hierarchical relations that have been that have produced often terrible uh, consequences, um, and not just to human beings, but to the environment and so forth. So, so acting responsibly. Um, and I like the fact that you're saying humility, you know, really um, emphasizing that word is it's possible to be um, humbly um, responsible and not um, not buy into a uh, uh, a top-down hierarchical model. 
but something that arises from within is very is very uh, in itself healing. Mm-hmm. It seems to me. Yeah, I I I think that um, this medicine, this this Dagara technology, this this Dagara medicine, this reaching back into the really deep layers of of my Italian lineage, this or what I call earth medicine. It's all about having direct experience, right? Which was removed from us quite deliberately by the powers that be. So this is the first thing. So that person that I'm prescribing a ritual to is going to go out and do it. I know now, after 10 years in, they're going to get a response. They might not believe it. It's hard for me to still believe because I, I I feel that really we're so we in the North America we are so I mean except for indigenous people we are so dissociated from the fact that we live in an alive universe where everything's alive and everything will respond if you speak to it. We're just so far removed from that. But now I know, after all these years of people coming into divination and me giving them these rituals, and then come, them coming back and saying, you're not going to believe what happened, that I, I know they're going to get a response. And so I want to be really careful what I tell them to do. Because the Wedeme don't sometimes even understand how disconnected we are, you know? And this medicine is so powerful that I want to make sure that these people don't go out and get walloped, kind of, you know, mm. by the response. Mm. And they're, they're often making really big asks, the Wedeme. They say, 911 people, the planet is not doing well. You got to get it together. You got to go, you got to heal this, you know. They're, they're, they're in a hurry. But, I also need to care for this this person who's come in, you know, kind of doesn't quite know what they're getting themselves into <laughs> when they come to a divination. And I want to really make sure that it is a um, something they can they can hold in their, you know, in a way that is healthy for them. Because that's another thing about divining here. I might not ever see this person again. Mm. You know, I mean. I'm, if it's over Zoom, I don't even know where, you know, I don't know who this person is. So I'm being really careful, too, because it is so powerful and you are going to get a response. And I love it when people get a response because that's the way it's supposed to be. You know, you're supposed to be in relationship with everything. And you're supposed to, I believe we should, We it would be great if we all understood that there's, other energies to interact with. There's a there's a language um, that I find useful that uh, I think you shared with me in a, an article about uh, lunar energy and um, which energy lunar lunar uh, um, mm-hmm. and it has to do with this notion of subject subject consciousness versus subject object consciousness. So like a frame to describe or you know uh, some hooks to hang on what you were just saying is you know that when we're dissociated we live in this subject object uh realm where there's us and then there's stuff and 
the stuff could even be other people, but basically our relationship to stuff is instrumental. You know, we 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 the the rest of the universe is to be manipulated and. You know, in, in human relations, it's you know that can be very chronic when you know other people are seen as objects to be manipulated. But even for humans and their tribal, you know, our sort of mammalian sense of uh, connection, we might think of other people as uh, like us, but then everything else is stuff that we can manipulate. And subject, subject is everything is a subject. Everything is a being. Uh, even apparently inanimate objects are beings that can be we can be in relationship with and that that's a very different way of being and I, I notice this I, I notice it because it's one of the things I struggle with in um, um, uh, even coming into this tradition is if if I go for a walk you know if I'm on, I'm thinking about it. I'll, I'll take offerings, and then you know, take make offerings to trees on a walk. Uh, you know, just just to say hello, just to you know, say I see you, I acknowledge you here. Um, if I'm not, you know, if I'm in my sort of ordinary Western mind, you know, it's like uh, the tree exists to give me pleasure. Uh, I don't exist to give the tree pleasure. You know, it's just like something I see. It's an, oh, I'm taking a walk. It's a nice thing to do. You know, I feel good afterwards, but it's not. It's not a relationship at that point, or it's a very attenuated relationship. Mm -hmm. So maybe you could talk, you know, does that, I think you, that language sounds very much like what you were saying. Mm -hmm. We have to work to create a subject-subject, to return to a subject-subject relationship to our being in a physical body. It doesn't take long, though. I mean, that's that's what I mean, you know. I I find that... um, once people have even one of those experiences, then they're like, wait a minute, there's something out there. And it feels good. You're not alone. You know? I mean, I, I just feel so sad about what we've lost. We've lost our sense of belonging, belonging to the earth. And that what you were speaking about, that's actually in the Oscan Oracle. Mm. And um, the language that came to me was transpermeable consciousness. And this is what um, the Witches of the Wild Ways is what I also call the Inara. Um, it's really the wild that we're disconnected from. And, and that's the part that is that I'm cautious around for people because it's wild. It's wild. I can't tell you what's going to happen when you go do this. And it's a really good thing, but I'm asking the wild to take it easy, okay? <laughs> They'll come on too strong, you know, because they can come on really strong because they're they're so wanting to interact with us as well. But yes, I I I wish and long for a time where we can humans can get back to understanding that we all have transpermeable consciousness with everything around us. We share consciousness with everything in our ecosystem, and if we could remember that, I feel that we would live so differently. Mm-hmm. And I know and. Every indigenous tradition says this. You know, this is the way we grew up on this planet. This is what we knew. And it hasn't been a bad detour, the intellect. I don't want I don't want to, you know, we've we've gotten so much from exploring our intellect. We've gotten we've learned a lot. And but I feel like we're in a place now where we can now take the intellect and and take that back with us to this 
place of belonging. And really, there's so many people doing that. But I think it would be satisfying for humans, and it would be really good for our ecosystems. <laughs> um, because it's just a whole different way of situating ourselves on the planet. So that, for me, is what um, I'm praying for. But what to what you were saying, yes, I mean, just start talking to the trees. And, you know, don't talk to every tree, because I'm telling you, they're going to talk back. <laughs> and, and it's just like in hum, human friends. You can only have so many friends, because you want to nurture those relationships. You know, you want if you're going to make a friend, you want to keep the friend. So you don't have to be friend with every tree. And you can't be friend with every tree. But there's certain trees that will call to you and want to have a relationship with you. And those are the ones, and you just keep building it and building it. And even the fact that you're recognizing now, wow, that was kind of a disembodied walk, you know. I didn't even notice the trees, never mind, you know, make an offering. I have those too, right? Because I'm on my computer all day. And, but to even that we've got no point where we notice, oh, I, I, I want to do that differently next time. For me, that's a huge step, I, I feel. Because we have to be patient with ourselves. Mm. We really, really, really have been um, brought up differently and taught differently. And even if you tell, you know, when you tell people you're talking to trees, you know, might not go over so well. So it's it's <laughs> might, those people might not want to talk to you right. again. It's, it's tricky, <laughs> you yeah, know. It's, it's tricky because um, nobody wants to be made fun of. Yeah, and it's still something that it's very allowed to make fun of um, people that have these experiences. I, I have found that that it'd be really nice if people would start saying, you know, it's not okay to make fun of of people who have those kinds of experiences. I just find that ridicule is is really damaging. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also, but it also is a way to. Uh, sort of reinscribe the subject-object relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, so uh, I'd like to bring up uh, a subject that is, uh, I think, Im- runs implicitly through what you've what you've been saying. Um, in fact, you said it explicitly at at least one point early on, which is that one of the things that I appreciated getting from. My friend, who had been um, um, educated in uh, Korean Zen Buddhist tradition, which is that in East Asia, uh, it's been in most countries, uh, certainly for centuries in the past, it was okay and understood to be okay to partake of more than one religious tradition Hmm. in your life at a time. So, the Catholic tradition I grew grew up uh, inculcated in was um, and is still, I think, often understood to be a unique. You don't you don't get to combine uh, Catholicism and uh, Judaism, for example. You know, you can be respectful of Judaism, but not. Mm-hmm. You don't get to practice both of them in the same lifetime. Um, but in Asia, that's, that has traditionally been different. So there will be Buddhist and Taoist. Pe- mm. People who do Buddhist and Taoist practices or 
Buddhist and shamanic practices or, um, you know, Taoist and um, Confucian practices, that sort of thing. And um, one of the one of the uh, healings I had was to realize that that you know I could be a Buddhist and um, a Catholic or a uh, you know a fourth way practitioner and a uh, Buddhist practitioner. So. Um, it seems to me that that, that non-exclusive model of practice is um, practices, plural, is really um, another part of the, the, the healing that you are um, that you have been responsible for for um, extending to your clients because um, you know, what if 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 a uh, if if a non-Catholic um, saint comes into your divinatory space uh, for a Catholic, for someone who's who identifies as Catholic, it's okay for that for that voice to be articulated, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, and so that sense of mutual honoring is very is an important part of where our uh, American and Western and, and whatnot viewpoint um, has has lost lost its way it seems to me mm. so I just wonder if you could comment on that mm. from the from the position of the Strega tradition mm. Uh, Dagra tradition, etc. Yeah. Well, first, I mean, I, I and I think we all. I mean, I just want to say that if, if someone is in one tradition and they and they've always been in that tradition and their family goes, you know, there's nothing wrong with being in in one tradition, right? Sure. But they, like, as you're saying, there's plenty of us that find ourselves um, drawn to more than one, and also just that we grew up in one and we we found another one that we really resonate with, but we don't really want to throw all the old one out, you know? And so mm-hmm. that's something that my ancestors, the Italian ancestors, I, re- I realized this the other day. I'm like, oh, of course they were masters at this. <laughs> because when the church came in, they were able to blend their pagan traditions mm-hmm. with those Catholic traditions and make this syncretic experience of Catholicism that's nothing like what it's supposed to be, right? So they they learned to do that a really long time ago. Mm-hmm. And that's what I saw with my grandmother growing up. I saw I mean I didn't know she was doing all these things that weren't allowed. I had no idea. You weren't supposed to pray to the female saints. She wasn't supposed to be putting shrines all over her house and making offerings, you know. This was all very pagan, right? But I didn't know. I just grew up seeing that. I thought it was Catholic. Then when I learned more about Catholicism, I was like, oh, I guess I don't really, I guess I, <laughs> I guess it was really different. But also, to another thing that you were saying, a lot of people come for divination and, and like the Wedeme will be talking to them and the Wedeme will show me a rosary, let's say. All of a sudden the Wedeme show me, a, they want them to go to a ritual and they're like, 
you get that rosary. And I'm like, uh, so then I, as the diviner, kind of backtrack a little. Um, was anybody in your family Catholic? Because I don't know if they have what. You know, so many people are triggered from growing up in, in a lot of traditions that I have to be careful when they come in, right? Because they might not want to hear anything Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, so the person will say, yes, I have my grandmother's rosary, mm-hmm. but I'm no longer a practicing Catholic. Right. And so then the the wedding may will will tell them well it that that has a lot they just love rosaries I just got to tell you they just love rosaries prayer beads of any kind super effective they it, just so you know they they definitely esteem a lot of traditions you know that people come in with they esteem some of the rituals and they say that's really powerful you need to keep that you need to keep praying on that the person feels it's like um connected then to mm-hmm. their grandmother and given permission you know like even though I'm not going to pursue a Catholic life I can honor my grandmother's beliefs and not feel like I need to reject them you mm-hmm. know and so it gives this beautiful like what you're saying like I can hold both I can honor that my grandmother was Catholic and this was her tradition and she believed it and it gave her life so much meaning and this rosary is a representation of that and now I can go do a healing on it for her. It's just this beautiful way of making it all okay and also empowering the person. Like, yes, you can you can pray on this rosary. Now again, I don't know what you know the church would say about what I'm saying because it's all a little bit heretical. But most people that are coming for divination, you know I don't think I need to worry about that. Um, but I try. I want to be honoring, but but at the same time, people feeling kind of this despair, you know, that oh, I'm gonna, I'm not connected to it, and they were connected to it, and I'm dishonoring them. A lot of that can get healed with this allowing. I think is mm-hmm. is allowing a good word for it, and sure. this permission, like, yeah, you can do both. I think you can do both. I, I'm doing both, and and I love, um, I love when Jesus comes into a divination. I mean, I just love it when I see that someone has a really close connection to Him, and that it shows up and it's really powerful, and it's just how however they're holding it. It's yeah. I I think latitude is important for certain people. Is it, do you find that in the uh, div, divination community that um, you're unusual with that? Uh, I'm just curious. Is this is this a feature of the divinatory method in general, or is this more unique to your approach and and your, as it were, subspecialty of connecting people with lineage? Mm-hmm. <coughs> well, <coughs> definitely connecting people to their lineage is my specialty because that's how I came to this. Mm-hmm. And I always feel like what you were, what you experienced and went through, then you can teach. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that for a lot of the diviners I've mentored, um, lineages come up in people's divinations. Now, because I, I mean, I, a lot of them weren't brought up Catholic though, so they might not have the, you know, they might not have the little trigger that goes off in me when I see something like that come up in a divination and just knowing that 
there's a lot of recovering Catholics out there, mm-hmm. you know, like we're, we're a group. And so sometimes thinking, oh, I don't know how they're going to feel about this mm-hmm. is definitely me, right? If someone wasn't brought up that way, they don't have the triggers. Yeah. They're just going to say it, though. doesn't mean it's not going to come up, but they're not going to have my whole little, oh, <laughs> how do you feel about that? <laughs> but around other stuff, they might. Um, definitely a lot of what I've said here today is my own personal style. Totally. Totally. Everybody has their own personal style. And like I said, I'm coming from a long line of people who, you know, they just said, okay, well that works. That doesn't, I'm going to use this and I'm not going to use that. And I'm going to keep doing the evil eye remedy when the priest isn't in town. You know, that's what I came from, come from. (laughs) So, so when you work with people and connect, uh, um, people in a divination with a um, a lineage of their own they, they, um, I'm, inter- I'm partly interested in what that means or how that works um, because there's a level in which one might be acknowledging it let's say I have Norse ancestors or in my case Irish ancestors you know um, the indigenous practices um, in many cases are largely lost so I can acknowledge the lineage, like uh, an ancestral lineage, but um, are there ways in which people who get connected to a, a lineage can, in a sense, activate that? Mm-hmm. Um, and and does that happen? Or do you find that happens? And, and what form does that take? A lot. Um, this is a really big subject, and it's very intriguing for me. But yes, so you can have your ancestral lineages, right? So that's who you're descended from genetically, but also if you're adopted, those are also your ancestors. The Wedeme do not discriminate. I've said that on here before, right? You're, whoever your family is is your family. If you're adopted, you simply have more family. But then the medicine lineages are something separate from that. So because everybody doesn't have a medicine lineage. I, I think people come through multiple lifetimes carrying these lineages. Um, and it can either be a biological medicine lineage or it can be a medicine lineage that someone got adopted into. As we were saying today, it's been going on forever on this planet, so it's really nothing new. A lot of people are adopted into different medicine lineages and got initiated and learned them and then went on to practice them and become masters of them. Uh, so I can... If someone comes in for divination and certain rituals are starting to get prescribed and I'm, and they're showing me a place on the planet, I, I will start to identify that it's a medicine lineage because they're giving them work to do that is specific to where they're from and that medicine of that place or that tradition. So it could be like there was one woman that they kept calling a bodhisattva, bodhisattva. She didn't even know what it meant. Um, I don't know that much about it either, but I told her the most. I told her what they told me to tell her, and you go go ahead and look into this. But they're saying, you know, you came here to live the life of a bodhisattva. Sorry, you don't know, <laughs> but your whole life is a sacrifice, by the way. But then other times, this really interesting thing that happens is once a lineage starts to open up, and again, how I can identify them. First of all, often an elemental being will show up with this person and it will be wearing a specific costume (laughs) related to the place. 
Hmm. And that's, I believe, that's just the Wedeme trying for me to understand. Like, they, they put on costumes. Like, hey, I'm a leprechaun. Get it? Oh, do you have ancestors from Ireland? Yes. Okay. Here, here's an Irish Wedeme here. Um, but then, once they start opening up the lineage, often I will start seeing things that have literally been locked away for safekeeping by the ancestors of that lineage. And that's a whole process of trying to open up those lost rituals, those lo- that lost information. And so this is where you would come from multiple divinations. Because I'm, I'm telling the client, they're saying, go do this and that, and then information will come to you. So then the client goes and does the rituals. Suddenly they're getting information. They've connected with an ancestor. And then they come back and get more information. And that's how you start to act, reactivate a lineage. But it takes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it takes a lot of time. So I don't want people to think that this is a simple thing. I had been at divining for, I think, almost eight years when my niece got initiated. And when we were preparing for her initiation is when they told me, when you initiate her, you will have restored the lineage. So this is how many years in? It took me... Eight years to write that book, and then I had to go through the process of training and getting initiated, and then eight years of divining. Now you're telling me I'm starting to return the lineage? I was like, what have we been doing all this time? (laughs) And this could possibly be the Italian lineage only that's picky this way, but my great-grandmother said, until you pass the lineage on, it's not alive. Hmm. You have, they have to be kept alive. They have to be passed on. Otherwise, you're just holding information. That's what she said. You've got to keep passing it on. So, again, that could be an Italian thing because the Italian tradition does seem to be extremely family-oriented and ex- definitely stayed in family lines. But I I suspect it's true of a lot of these, especially Celtic lineages, that you have to pass them on, and that's how it keeps them alive. Hmm. So first you have to find it, recover it, find a mentee, initiate them. But passing it on, in the, like in the Ostrega, would be like passing it on to a, a relative, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like it, right, because I had already initiated several people before my niece. Right. Yeah, that's what I was told. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So when uh, a lineage has been restored, um, is it a set of practices, a way of being, a energetic chain that's now being transmitted actively or uh, uh, from generation to generation? How do you how do you understand it? Mm-hmm. Well. Um, after my niece got initiated, she began to do, she was taught a whole different way of, she was doing stick divination, but then she was interrupted by an entity who started to teach her what I call more the oracular tradition, which I believe is 
that's more in line with the Italian lineage for divination is the oracular speaking. And so she started doing that. Hmm. So she has her own, she's developed her own way of interacting with these spirits and she's now carrying that on. So I believe she's she's kind of developing more toward the more authentic medicine of our Italian lineage. Whereas, and and I I'm I'm still holding this space of doing stick divination and training people and because that's my job. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also working with her very closely. So t- together, then the two of us now we created this book. So I. I believe we're bringing it more and more to life with the work we're doing together. And that will eventually get passed on, but I don't really know yet. I don't know what that's going to look like. So it's interesting that you described that that she encountered in her divinatory work uh, an entity that began to bring this information to Mm -hmm. the fore. So was that an entity associated with this ancient tradition? Uh, Yes. She calls herself Aradia. And um, this, this is all in the Oscan Oracle book as well. She calls herself Aradia, who was a um, famous prophetess of the Strega tradition. She was called the Little Strega, um, the Holy Strega, sorry, not the Little Strega. And there's a whole story about how she saw that the lineage was being, was being persecuted and that she needed to hide it. She hid it, wrote it on scrolls and took it and hid it. So... She calls herself Aradia, but Rory is clear that it's a combination, a collection of beings that are coming through that name. But they are Yanara. Hmm. Yeah. So we're on a whole different... uh, We're following all that now as well. So, yeah, it's it's fascinating. That that does answer the question that that then one... Like your niece is able to, and you're able with her to partake of this information, develop practices, realize those practices in the uh, physical world, um, continue that conversation. It's, al- it's almost as though lineage is a conversation or a way of conversing. Well, yes, because there's all this information stored in it, mm-hmm. which is, you know. Lineages are information, right? They're information of how to carry out the work in the way that your ancestors or the ancestors of lineage have carried it out. And all of those have specific fields and vibrations and entities that come with them. And so that's why it's so interesting for me now to have all these Oscan goddesses coming forward, literally, like, you know, in books and but that's because I'm I'm a researcher, so that's always been one of my ways. They, they work with me. Um, but my niece has had other beings come forward and tell her things that have been borne out by the research we've been doing. So it's it's like it's being brought back in, like you were saying, into the I don't know the yeah the. Well, the the public, the public, uh, the public consciousness, and yeah, and to you're right, and with practices, right? Because it's always about practices, right? The lineages have certain practices, and beings, and places, and it's fascinating. Hmm. 
So what's uh, next for you in terms of um, you you published this book, you're just starting this line of work, and yet you're you're continuing holding the space for the Dagra work um, and the community here. So mm-hmm. do you see new projects unfolding uh, uh, over and above all of that, or is it... Uh, mm-hmm. Yes. Well, I I will never not do stick divination. I absolutely love stick divination. And um, and so I will always, yeah, I will always be holding this multi-discipline space, I guess. But like, yeah, but my, my niece might go on to, you know, just go toward this Italian one. Um, I am now putting together a book... Um, based on, it was actually a divination I had with one of our diviners who I was told to create a wheel of the year, the eight pagan holy days, um, create rituals uh, based on my Italian lineage. So that was something that came through in a divination I had. Um, and th- this is this is what happened. I mean, it just you just keep going to divinations, and just they keep telling you more things, and you get more work to do and more work to do, and it's it's really rich and beautiful. So I did that one year. I I, I hosted eight holidays, holy days. So what I mean by those are, are those are the cross quarter days and the equinoxes and solstices, and then I researched what would have been the Italian twist. On these, and I do need to say, you know, I'm not Italian, <laughs> so I'm also, you know, I'm American. So, and that's become really, really clear to me since I started doing all this work. So, I do own. I know I'm not. I'm Italian American. So, I created all those, and we did the rituals, and they were really fun, and a lot of information came through. So, I'm putting together a book called um, the Italian American Wheel of the Year. Hmm. And in between those, I'm going to put articles of other things I've discovered about my lineage. Um, And then I am writing um, a second Amazon pattern book. So Amazon pattern part two. And this one is um, going to be about the Oracle. Amazons as oracles. Mm. Um, And that tradition, what is an Oracle? What is that tradition? And where has it shown up? And a lot of that is um, based on relationship with the moon. And you mentioned that uh, you're starting a Membranes of Hope class. I am, yes. So maybe talk about that a little bit, because that was uh, uh, your last, your most recent book before the Oscan Oracle was the Membranes of Hope. Mm-hmm. So, um, Okay, where do I begin? (laughs) (laughs) Membranes of Hope is a book that came through years of divination where me and the group of diviners I work with, the Strega Tree Collective, um, were taught about what the Wedeme called membranes. They grabbed onto that um, word because it's what the word they want to use to describe the bioenergetic containers or... uh, um, what, what else do we want to call it? Fields that all of life systems are held in. And this teaching is really profound because it, with this teaching, what, what I understood was really 
the medicine lineages, the purpose of the spirit worker is to take care of the membranes that support life. And that's really a bigger picture than a lot of us are used to when we think about um, the witch or medicine work. It's really a community service. It's totally a community service. And there's a village membrane that medicine people always took care of, and they held their community in a really... Um, in a really close and intimate way and they did it by working with the trees so anyway in this book okay in this book it's I talk about the spiritual membranes I explain what they are I call them also bioenergetic membranes and how you can care for them and I start with the personal membrane which is the membrane around our, our bodies and our lives just us what we consider me and then the family membrane, the container that holds our family, and how to care and nurture for that. The village membrane, so how to care for your community. And in the Western world, that can mean the people that in your town that you're in touch with, but also we have a lot of different communities that we belong to, like a spirit community or any kind of community you're in. And then the earth membranes, how do we support the earth membranes that the earth has created organically, but how do we support those? And then the cosmic membranes. So the book takes you through all of those, and it's a totally big giveaway. I, I, there's so many rituals in that book. There's so much explanation for everything we've talked about today. Um, it's a great resource. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's, it's for anyone at any level they want to participate in this work. You don't have to be a diviner. You don't have to want to be a diviner. But if you care about the earth and you want to find a way to, to feel like you're offering some kind of help or assistance or service, this book will teach you how. And so the first class is um, Understanding and Caring for Your Personal Membrane. So that's going to be in February 8th and 9th. It's an online class, just two hours, experiential, getting to understand and get to know this membrane. And are you going to go on from there? Mm -hmm. I am. The first time I taught the class, I, I required that people take all five and um, commit to that. And I think it was just too much. Uh, first, let's get the concept of the personal membrane, you know, one at a time. So that's what I'm going to try to do this time. Because mm. okay. the information is kind of new anyway. And then to throw in all those concepts at once is sometimes too confusing. So, yeah, start with... The personal, because every membrane that you're in, the Wedeme kept saying, if you don't have your own interiority taken care of, which creates your personal membrane, if you're not really strong there, then all the other membranes are compromised. Uh, well, this has been a, uh, a wide-ranging and uh, delightful conversation. Yeah, so. Thank you so much. It's been fun. Yeah. It's a, it's it's a, uh, quite a privilege to be able to talk about this and to uh, hold the space for all of this uh, really interesting work that you're doing. So, so thank you for uh, joining us today on the Mystical Positivist. Thank you so much. It's been great to be here. You have been listening to the Mystical Positivist. This is your host Stuart Goodnick. This week on the show, we featured a pre-recorded conversation with Teresa Dentino, co-author of the newly published book *The Oscan Oracle* from the ancient genre of the moon. 
In this conversation, we discuss her latest book, The Nature of Lineage, Dagoristic Divination as a Way to Connect People to Their True Lineages, Cultural Appropriation and the Ways to Hold and Practice an Indigenous Tradition, and the Ethics of Divination and Interaction with Non-Corporeal Beings. Thank you for joining us once again for The Mystical Positivist. Podcasts of all our shows can be found at www.mysticalpositivist.blogspot.com, as well as commentary and discussion of topics of interest to the show. Also, please send comments and feedback to mysticalpositivist at gmail.com. Join us again next Saturday.